Hey everybody, what's going on? It is episode 2 of Survival of the Artist podcast. Last time we had Mowgli the Iceberg. Today we have Davis Absolute, the homie, all the way in San Diego. What's up, Davis? What's up, Justin? How you doing? How you doing? I'm doing good. You're you're three hours behind me. Yeah. It's it's <laughs> kind it's a little late for me because I've become old and yeah. need to go to sleep early. But um after a number of reschedules and <laughs> a bout of walking pneumonia for yeah. Davis Absolute, we are on the phone and we're recording stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a, definite, a definite win. I was pretty sure that after the last time I canceled and I told you I had walking pneumonia, that would be pretty much it. I was like, oh, Justin's not going to want to talk to me again. I was like, okay, well, <laughs> I hope I get better. But I think that's it for the podcast. So I'm really glad that you... Uh, stuck your neck out for me one more time, and we're able to uh, get on here and do this. Yeah, I was. Uh, if it didn't work today, I, w- I was moving on. I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, well, I know you obviously. Yeah. Uh, we talk. We talk a lot. But for our audience, uh, mm-hmm. who are you? What do you do? And what is your claim to fame? Yeah. Um. So um. I'm I'm a hip hop artist. Uh. I rap. Um, primarily content is focused on God and Jesus. Um, so Christian, you know, pretty much Christian music, uh, you know, made for both Christian audience and the, uh, I guess the secular hip hop, general hip hop audience as well. Um, but yeah, I just make, I make music. I enjoy making music. I've done it for a long time. Um, I don't really have a claim to fame. I don't know what my claim to fame would be. Um, I try to be educated as possible and help educate people as much as possible about being an artist. Uh, by no means am I a surviving, struggling artist. Um, I make really good money doing what I do as a full-time marketer. So I, f- I focus on that. But the the stuff that I'm able to do as a musician and as an artist has been really, um, I-, I would say, exponentially increased and just... Uh, 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 built up just with knowledge on publishing, uh, owning your music, mm-hmm. copyright, licensing, pretty much all the stuff that good musicians know about when they make a living is the stuff that I've been applying to my art. So I, I would say that's probably the one thing that I really enjoy sharing with people and, and kind of what I do. But um, yeah, just love making music and uh, love sharing with people how to how to profit their music a little bit better. And good. Uh, I want to talk about that in a little bit. Because I know that you have some useful things that um, that you could share with everybody. Yeah. And actually, I'm, I'm kind of doing this on the fly. I mean, you you have a number of albums. You have mm-hmm. you have uh, Absolutes. You have Eden. You have one that's in the works. You have your own podcast, mm-hmm. um, which you could plug right now. What's yeah. your podcast called? <laughs> the Rich Grave Podcast, an artist development podcast. If you search that on YouTube, you'll be able to find it. Yes, so you have that, and also you're you're doing some uh, you're doing a hip hop website, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I own and operate a hip hop website called NewH2O.com. We focus on Christian rappers and Christian hip hop artists uh, that that have like clean, great quality content that are looking to share it with the world. So um, we recently, well, I say we, I bought it from the, the previous ownership about three or four months back and we've been trying to reposition it and redirect it as a brand and also as you know kind of our mission statement how are we going to reinvigorate that um, which has been a lot of fun but um, yeah that's that's another thing I do as well 
Okay. And we'll get more into that later too. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to give you a an, another, a little bit more of a proper introduction. So <laughs> you have been making music for a while. I've seen some old mixtape covers of you with an afro. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But, but now you are in a good spot. Um, at least I know everyone always feels like they could be a step further, but you're in a pretty good spot now. So yeah. how long did it take you to get where you're at now? You know, it's kind of like a... Um, it, it's a tough thing to say because there's been so many like misfires and missteps. When I talk about my testimony with music, I really attribute a lot of it to God. But in my music career, if you would, there's been like six or seven major reset buttons for me um, as far as making music goes. And the biggest, I guess, most recent one was when I really took on the Davis Absolute moniker and uh, yeah. kind of committed my craft to specifically making God-conscious, Jesus-focused music, and that was in 2013. So towards the end of 2013 is when I dropped my first project, and that was, or I'm sorry, actually, um, the beginning of 2013 is when I dropped my first project. So from 2013 till now has been about five years. So with the Davis Absolute moniker and the branding around that, it's been about five years that I've been building this up. Um, and yeah, even within that, a lot of missteps, a lot of things I think I could have done better or differently, um, but kind of where I'm at now and my mindset now I feel really good about what the next three to four years look like. And, you know, I think, and maybe you could speak on it too, but I think a lot of artists have like a two to four year plan on really blowing up. And that, that that's right. really never how it happens. I mean, you never. know, um, maybe for a few people and you in an exceptionally small community, you might have some level of success. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's been a five year thing for me just figuring out who I am. And it wasn't until 2016 that I released music that I owned 100%, which is a huge investment of time and awesome. money, but also a huge, um, a huge asset and a huge step forward, I think, for anybody looking to make music. Yeah. And when something is 100% yours, too, it gives you this sense of, all right, like, this is it. This is me going out. Exactly. Um, you know, no, no looking back now. For sure. And I mean, there's, um, there's a number of benefits. I talked about it in my, my most recent podcast on the power of owning your music. But, but yeah, I mean, once you put something out that you own, that's, I feel that's really when the doors for you being an artist open up. Like maybe you could do some pretty cool things with music that you don't own 100%, like beats that you've leased or you know, you're in a band, so maybe like a cover band or something like that where you guys do covers and, you know, maybe you perform at some cool spots and stuff. But there's always like that barrier of what you can do and how big things can get for you because you don't really own what you're doing, you know. So once you own it, I think it's a different ball game. So that was really cool. Um, but yeah, I'm super I'm super stoked for what the future holds and and kind of the journey to get here has been fun, tough, but also fun. Yeah. For sure. I, I really like what you said about that two, three, two to three year plan, because I remember back, geez, it's almost 10 years ago now, back in 2009, my band was, was really popping locally. We were playing um, and really popping locally was maybe three or four shows a month. Mm -hmm. um, but we basically had a, had a show every weekend and yeah. you know, we were selling lots of CDs, kids CDs. You could play them in your car still. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> most cars. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. And, you know, we were doing really well and it was like, yeah, two to three years, we're, you know, we're there, we're making it, we're yeah. getting signed, we're going to tour America. Yeah, and then yeah. Three years passed and you're like, you know what? I think we could figure something out in another two to three years. Yeah. And now <laughs> fast, fast forward, it's 2018 and we're like, all right, well, we've just been recording an album for two years. Yeah. Um, 
So maybe it's like, why are we still doing this? Oh yeah, because we're crazy. Because <laughs> all musicians are a little bit crazy and a little bit so. nuts to keep doing what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Especially when, especially when the decks are stacked against you. I think the decks are stacked against pretty much everybody. And I, I don't know if I already gave this this disclaimer, but my daughter is here. So if you hear some random screams and stuff, that's just her being happy. Yeah, and disclaimer, if you hear any of that on my end, it's because my daughter might have woken up in the middle of the night screaming. So me, me, and, uh, me and Davis are, are on similar planes here. Um, but um, I guess you said you really started figuring things out in 2016. Um, well, aside, aside from you finally putting on a project that you owned you know, everything to, that you owned the masters to, was there something else that sort of clicked for you or that you figured out that became different that you were like, all right, here we go. Here's how I will now like plan my assault on, on music. Yeah, you know, it, and it's funny, like 2016 was the first year that I really owned all of my music, but I think it was like 2014 to 2015 when I kind of realized like, I, I always wrestled with this idea of dropping an album because like if I ever drop an album, or, or the first album that I drop, it's just got to be perfect. And I think that's one of my biggest, um, I don't know, flaws as, a, as an artist is I'm too much of a perfectionist. I can't really just release things and I kind of beat myself up when it doesn't sound the way I want it to or come out the way I want it to. But around 2014, 2015, I was like, you know, I really need to start putting out music that I own 100%. And a lot of this was just from the fact that, you know, I was working with a lot of um, uh, companies as a media production specialist. And I realized that you could do so much with stuff that you own. So like content that you own is incredibly valuable, right? Like the ability to be able mm-hmm. to sell, you know, a thousand units of your, of your, um, your, your song or your album or whatever, before you have to renegotiate the lease is like incredibly detrimental to your growth as an artist or not being able to submit your songs for, um, you know, radio play or play in a movie, right. Or a movie trailer or something like that. you know, the, the idea that somebody would approach me and say, Hey, we want to put your song in this video game. That's going to go around the country. And then I say, Oh, well, I don't actually own the beat, so I can't do that. But, um, I could try and make a song for you or something like that really kind of just got <laughs> under my skin. And it was around like, you know, 2014, 2015 that I was like, okay, time to put together this master plan to own my music. And 2015 and 2016 was really the process of creating that first project and putting all I had into it, getting the money together, getting the producers together and just developing something that I knew would just make me stand out and give me that asset um, as a artist, but realistically as a business person that I could go out and then use to make more money. And the crazy thing is, is like songs from that 2016 project, I still hear pop up, you know, all over the web, all over, you know, um, different licensing websites. Like the, it, it's still valuable because it's new and fresh to other people, right. even if it came out in 2016. So for me, that was kind of like my big awakening. Um, but I think that's what kind of triggered, uh, not, not triggered, but kind of clicked in my head to say, okay, what if a big opportunity falls in my lap? How am I going to take advantage of it when I don't own a thing that I've made so far? And that really hit me. And then also another thing too, I know I've been rambling, but another thing too is like SoundCloud's huge crackdown on copyrighted material really woke me up yeah, as well. Yeah. Cause I was like, okay, well I can't do mixtapes and put them on SoundCloud anymore. Cause I'll get flagged and my account will get shut down. So where are we at now? And at, and at that time, SoundCloud was the biggest platform. 
and there was really not the you know the gloom and doom of 2017 um so at the time i was like okay i need to make sure i don't get shut down off this platform i need to release original stuff (laughs) and um you know that coupled with this idea of ownership really is what pushed me to to start taking things a little bit not more seriously but seriously in a a different way right right no that that makes sense 100 percent and uh i mean oh and and the project you're you're referring to is absolutes right yeah that was the first project just to be clear I, Everybody I, check out Absolutes. And I had released a song called, it's funny, I had released a song called Stigmata um, earlier in 2015 that um, I owned as well. And like a couple of just one-off singles, but you know, quick little cool story. I released the song Stigmata uh, called Stigmata in like 2015 and you know, it did what it did at the time. You know, I got my streams, my downloads, whatever. Um, also released it for free download. And I, recently I submitted it for licensing to be, um, you know, just licensed by different YouTube creators, things like that. And it recently got uh, uh, put into this video by this really popular Mexican YouTuber. And this song that had about, I would say, 2000 or so streams on Spotify. And that was when I uploaded at the beginning of 2017 because I hadn't even used Spotify at that point. But at the beginning of 2017. Yeah now has about like i think the last time i checked about like 30,000 streams or something like that on spotify hey. yeah just just from the and i mean it's purely mexican audience right because it got featured in that that mexican youtubers um video for synchronization so yeah i mean you know like 30,000 or something streams at this point you know for this track that i dropped 3 years ago and it's all because of this uh licensing opportunity and that idea of ownership if i had dropped any other song that at least to beat two three years ago one i couldn't have submitted it for any sort of licensing opportunity and two even if i did like you know really what what, what kind of results would that yield i don't think it would have yielded um you know anything like thirty thousand streams within within a month which is kind of wild too it was like february only so <laughs> god's been good in a lot of ways but you know that was really cool to see and kind of see uh, th- this idea that I had reinforced and, and lived out literally in real time. Now, I want to ask you, and I know you talk about, you talk a lot about that in your Rich Grave podcast in the first episode, and I want people to go listen to that. So I'll just ask you, like you said you submitted, you submitted the song for licensing and publishing. Yeah. What do you, what do you mean by that? Like, where is it submitted and how do people see it? How do they pick it up? How does that work? Yeah. Yeah. So like briefly run through that without maybe giving away your whole own podcast. (laughs) For sure. For sure. And I mean, I I go into each one of those for like 30 minutes a piece. It's kind of a complex topic as it is kind of understanding publishing. You know, when someone says, oh, you know, you want to own your publishing, like, what does that really mean? You know, when when uh, Top Dog Entertainment gets an offer from a record label for 30 million for their publishing, like, what does that mean? You know, people people, I think, kind of like assume a certain thing, but they don't really know it 100 um, percent. And licensing is really another thing like that. So for me, when I when I have my music, I have a network of what are called like like um I guess more or less kind of like agents, right? Like licensing agents or music Mm -hmm. supervisors that I send my music out to. So from this list of people, I send out my music to get licensing. Now, licensing is when somebody pays you to use your music um, however they need it to use within the terms of the contract. So licensing could be, 
hey, I want to give you $1,000 to use your music in um, the front room of this club. You know, so when people walk into this mm-hmm. club, they'll hear your music. Right. Um, and I want to give you $1,000 and you'd let me use it all year. Or licensing could be I want to give you $10,000 to use your music in this YouTube trailer that we're doing for this film that we're putting out, you know, or a commercial or a radio commercial or uh, using it in a movie or putting it in a video game. Right. Like all those things are essentially what licensing is. And synchronization is the process of actually putting that music into visual content. That's kind of what synchronization is. So or not even visual content, but just content. So it could be a radio commercial as right. well or something. Um, so pretty much when I released it, uh, when I released that song, I came back around full circle since I owned it. I was like, you know what? I'm going to sim- uh, send this out to all of the the people I know who license music, see if they like it. And if they do, they can actually put this in their catalog and then people can go through and, and you know, choose it and see if they want to buy it. So I just submitted it and lo and behold, people still love it. People still like it. And it's actually one of my most like, licensed tracks that I actually own, which is pretty funny thinking that the first song I ever made originally is now one of my most licensed tracks. Right. Um, but yeah, so people essentially, that's encouragement to get you to keep making original music. (laughs) Absolutely. And, and you get paid off of it. Right. So every time that somebody uses that track, I make money. Right. And, that Mexican YouTuber, you know, he paid to use my track. I made a little bit of money. But as a result of him using that song in his video, I'm now seeing an incredible return on people saying, oh, I really like that song. I'm going to go find it and listen to it. And I mean, my YouTube shot up, my my actual, you know, Spotify stream shot up, my download song increase. Like all across the board, the song did better. So it's kind of like, OK, well, <laughs> who's going to argue with that? Right. Who's going to argue against owning your music? Now I can actually show and prove it. And, and I could show and prove it just from the money that I've made off of my other songs. But saying, hey, I have a four-year-old, a three-year-old song. I just re-released it essentially. And I'm still making, you know, 500, 800 bucks more off of it as a result. I think that's pretty cool. Now, now is every term different? Like, do you negotiate the terms? Like, say that, say that YouTuber was like, hey, I want to use it for one video. Do you then respond and be like, for example all right, it will be $500. And then while maybe someone else comes up to you and is like, hey, I want to use it for this. And you're like, well, since you're doing it for that, all right, maybe $100. Or is it sort of a a fixed thing? It depends on where they get it from, right? So there are these like um, companies that I use also called synchronization houses. I don't even know if that's the official term, to be honest, but it's what I call them, where they have like an entire library of music from all different artists. So, art, you know, from hip hop to um, landscape to a bunch of different um uh, you know, artists that they actually uh, license music for. So uh, filmmakers, um, producers, whoever can go onto this platform or go into this library and choo- uh, pick out the songs they want to use, choose the songs that they want to use. Um, so in that case, you know, the terms are set by me and that synchronization house. So I'm like, okay, if somebody wants that track, then you can let them have it for X amount, right? Um, sometimes mm-hmm. people approach me as well and they're usually like, hey, I want to use your music for something. And more, you know, more often than not, I kind of just let them use it because I want to get, you know, like one, I want to support people and other creators. But one, I mean, uh, another thing, if if they want to use it, I I want people to hear my music. So I'm just going to let them use it. Right. And I'm not, again, in this position where I'm a starving artist, like I make good money already. So this is just, you know, frosting on the cake. Um, But yeah, realistically, you could have a situation where if two people approach you for a song or if people approach you for a certain song, you could set up those contracts to say, hey, um, you know, for X amount 
amount, you can use it non-exclusively, which means I can let other people use it. Or for X amount, you could use it exclusively for this period of time. Or if you give me enough money, you could use it for as long as you want um, exclusively. No one else can use it, and I'll just keep it on streaming sites and, and different things like that, right? So there's a couple of ways you could do it. But yeah, I mean, uh, oftentimes for me, it's, it's a one-off um, conversation that I'm having with the actual people who house all the music okay. and are licensing the music versus... You know, negotiating with multiple YouTubers is probably one way to go about it, but it's not the way that I currently kind of do things. And and for clarification purposes, do these places that you license your music through, I'm assuming they take a cut, like that's part of the service? Um, yeah, in a way, in a way they do. Um, they, they take a cut, but not anything that I've kind of built in. So if they do take a cut, I probably don't even know what it is, right? <laughs> if, they, if they take a cut, okay. I'm, I'm not entirely sure what their cut really is, right? So if somebody's like, okay, um, you know, hey, I want to use your track for, you know, say they negotiate $100,000, right? Um, you know, uh, that, that, that would probably be a figure that I would know. And then whatever else happened, I would kind of have to probably do some digging. Um, but yeah, I mean, a cut is a usually usually a part of the deal for sure. It's, it's, it's okay. not something where um, you pay to, to be put on the platform, right? They're making okay. some yeah, kind of money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if somebody ever does I know, that, I would run the other way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I know there's probably, you know, a lot of people listening and probably like, oh, you know, how much do you have to pay to be on the service? But even still, say say this was a, you know, a flat rate, like maybe you pay 50 bucks for the year or 100 bucks for the year. I mean, it seems like if you if you do it the right way, you definitely going to make a return on that investment. And I think a lot of artists nowadays are afraid to invest um, and just are, are hoping that their song is going to do well streaming. And there really isn't much money in streaming unless you're doing like numbers in the hundreds of thousands and millions. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, it's it's one of those things where if there if there was an opportunity to say like, um, hey, I'm going to pay X amount of money and be able to send in my songs. And there are some platforms like that. So if anybody listening is interested, there's a platform called songtrader.com. It's songtrader.com that you can actually submit music to. A pretty limited pool. I haven't really seen any success from it, honestly. A pretty limited pool. Um, so songtrader.com. And there's also sonicbids.com as well. Sonic Bids. Those are two websites that you could check out and kind of you know, this, uh, kind of like pay to submit kind of platform, but it's more like people coming saying, Hey, I have this need. And then you send a song and they review it. Um, so there are platforms like that, but honestly, I, I don't really feel like those are the best platforms for a number of reasons, but primarily because artists don't really, uh, dare I say this, they don't really want to work on anything besides the art. Right. <laughs> and, and I get it. I get it. You know, I, yeah, get, I it. get it. I get it. But it's tough work to like sit down and compile a list of 40 different music supervisors from across the country based on the type of TV shows, commercials and movies that they've worked on. Right. I've done that. <laughs> it wasn't fun. It took me several hours. It took me a long time. It wasn't fun to do the research that was needed to kind of figure out about publishing and figure out synchronization and licensing and, you know, put it in a way that's distillable for anybody 
to really understand. You know, n- none of that is fun. You just want to focus on the art. But really, if you want to take your art, you know, and your music or whatever you're doing to that next level, you kind of have to have an understanding about all of those things. You can't really just be this person that says, oh, I'm just going to find somebody else to do it for me. You probably won't. And if you do, they're not going to care as much as you do probably about your success. So that's probably what I would say. There's no easy solution. If you're afraid to invest money, time is the next best thing or even a better thing. Right. Hey, and, and here's an idea. You've already done all that that uh, groundwork and compiled that list. You should write an ebook and have your your steps to publishing and licensing <laughs> and then include some of these places and then you sell it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, uh <laughs> in a lot of ways, you know, just speaking like on things that might be down the pipeline. That was one of the things mm. that I was looking to do. I'm, I've started a small licensing segment under uh, that website, New Age Swell, that I own. I, I've started a small licensing segment, and we have two artists that we're actually currently licensing. Um, one actually, well, you talked to Mowgli. Mowgli's a part of that. Um, and then another guy uh, named Nate Rose. And we're going to try and do some really cool things with them. But, um, but that's kind of the next step is to get artists that have really quality music, get them into the same position that I am with a lot of these different things. And um, yeah, just educate people and, you know, put out resources that are really valuable. So one resource might be like a list of different Spotify uh, curators, right? That, that do playlists for different genres of music. That's something that I would love to work on. And I've kind of started compiling in a lot of ways or a list of blog directories. Um, Those are cool too, but you know, there's that little bit of a risk as well where people aren't really, um, you know, you don't know what you're getting. So I want to be able to give people that um, are looking to invest like real value. So a part of that's kind of building that up. But no, I, I think that would be great if we had more resources um, like that. And another another great resource as well. And if you put these as links or something, it'd be cool. But um, yeah, there's this guy, uh, Buddy Voot or something like that. He's from Sweden and he manages a lot of big names. I think the probably the biggest one is um, San Holo or something like that. It's this um, it's this. Uh, I don't want to get it wrong, like an EDM artist. Um, mm-hmm. But anyways, he's he's pretty large and he started this record label and he has a blog called The Heroic Academy and they break down so much good information on this blog that I would encourage anyone, again, listening to check it out. But it's um, Heroic Academy. So check that out. They have a they have a, a starter course and like a master class that they sell as well, which is pretty great. Um, nice. But Heroic Academy, uh, that's another really great resource. Yeah, man. Hit me with those links, and for you listening, they will be somewhere down below, wherever below is for you, where you're listening. <laughs> look out, look out for the link. <laughs> and and I know, and I know you mentioned Mowgli. Mowgli actually in that first episode did say that you've helped him a lot with publishing. So now you yeah, guys yeah. have both both shouted each other out. Woohoo! Um, <laughs> clap it up, clap it up. <laughs> so, so I guess moving on from that, because because you dropped a lot of knowledge. Let's talk a little bit more about you. Um, what, I guess so far as an artist, what has been, or what do you feel has been your greatest success? And what is the biggest rock star moment of Davis Absolute's career thus far? Yeah, yeah, my my biggest success, you know, I think my biggest success was releasing that first project, honestly. Um, and releasing it and like, even when I listen back to it two years later, I'm like, yo, that is, that's great. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not 
embarrassed about it. I'm not like upset with how it came out. It, mm-hmm. it, it sounded good when it came out. It sounds good right now, you know? So I think that for me, that's a huge success. Um, and I think some big moments for me was, um, just, just some of the features that I've gotten, but like being on Gary V's, um, uh, YouTube channel and his pod and not, not his podcast, like his daily vlog. Um, right. I've been on his like vlog and, and really on his show, um, my music at least like dozens of times now, which is always really cool. Every time that I'm able to see one and I get people hitting yeah, me up about it. He's a big supporter of CHH. Apparently he keeps yeah. playing a, bu- a bunch of you guys. I think he did, um, no big deal. And then Ruslan. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's cool to see. I mean, you know, the quality I think says, says volumes. Um, so that was really awesome. And then seeing my stuff featured on like Bud Light, um, uh, McLaren was another really cool brand to just see the music associated with, uh, GQ, Reebok, like a lot of really awesome brands have been using the music. So that's always a real treat to see. And I think that's sort of the, like the cool rock star moments where people like hear the music. And then obviously when, when people in the comments on those videos are like, what is this track? This is really dope. And then you see that progression from, they go from like a, a Gary V's channel to my channel and then, you know, the message of the gospel is not in any way, you know, uh, veiled, right? They're getting it 100%. When they're listening to that, they're mm-hmm. they're rocking with it pretty heavy. So it's cool to see that as well. Yeah, that's dope, man. Now, uh, on, the, on the reverse side, what do you feel has been your biggest failure or your biggest regret as an artist? Yeah, um, I think my biggest regret as an artist was signing this deciding to exist music in 2016 I think that was just a stupid move I got over eager God told me I felt the Holy Spirit impressing me I don't mean to get like super deep into this guys right I I don't know if anyone listening is like uh, you know hardcore Christian or not or whatever but like Christians get this feeling right where God just tells you don't do it don't do it don't do it and you, (laughs) you know some people call it like your gut instinct right you know and I just knew that I should not do this thing, and I did this thing anyway. So I signed this record contract, and it literally did nothing but hold me up for like a year and a half um, in so many ways. So that was probably my biggest regret. And, you know, no malice against the guys that are running it, you know what I mean? I don't think they really knew what was going on either. I think they were kind of like lost for <laughs> for for what to do, honestly. But I really should have just... Um, just stuck with that that impression that was on my heart and just been like nah i'm good <laughs> yeah so so absolutes was came out basically right after you got out of that deal and you kind of had to wrestle some of those songs away from yeah. the deal right yeah yeah like i did the body the body was the was the primary one that that almost didn't happen right. and that's actually my biggest song right now so that was pretty cool that it came through but yeah that almost didn't happen which would have been a real pain cuz i, I I mean, you'd know, you know, it's hard to wrestle people together and getting like five different artists to give you a verse on a song was like pulling teeth, right? And, no, and nobody phoned it in either. No. Everybody, everybody, everybody brought, brought it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Which was dope to see. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, so that almost didn't happen, which would have been a huge, a huge bummer. Um, but it did. So God is good. And that came together. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was a huge learning experience, but I would say that was my my biggest regret for sure. I think my, I think where I'm at would look a lot differently, you know, for better or worse than it, than it does currently had I not signed that deal. Okay. All right. I got you. Now, now let's move on to what you have coming. You've been releasing some visuals and a single called B. What is B? 
Can you tell the people, please? <laughs> yeah, B is just kind of like this um, this brainchild that I had from just like, I don't know, kind of like exploring the idea of we all pursue certain things so hard and I have no no qualm with hard work, but we always have these goals or these ideals that we just chase and strive for, constantly putting ourselves in, in the eyes of uh, competition against other people, you know, constantly trying to say, you know, I'm better than so-and-so or so-and-so is better than me. I need to work harder. And I thought about this idea of like, just be, you know what I mean? Just, just be at peace, be with God, be yourself, just be. And the first track, I think kind of set the stage for that, but this project coming out is going to be a a short track, a a short track list project, about five tracks. I'm going for a more lo-fi chill withdrawn sound which is much different than a lot of the music i have put out um you know less on less on like lyricality and flow patterns and um really verbose language more about just like the feeling of the song um so i'm excited for it um it should be coming out really soon i have another track slated for the next couple of weeks and i'm I'm gonna try and accompany some cool visuals with each one of them kind of like the b visual where it's kind of like a you know just like a, a dope good feeling lo-fi vibe all around yeah and and i'm i'm glad you mentioned visuals because you are a big visual guy um i don't know if everybody knows this but for absolutes davis put out a a cover basically for every song right yeah and Mm -hmm. eden had a lot of great visuals that went with it and b has a couple of visuals already um you're you're that's that's sort of your thing so why are you so, I guess, heavy handed on the visuals? Um, and, you know, I guess, how did, how did that come about as that's kind of like a trademark for you, I feel like? Yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those like um, I had a skill set and I never really used it for my music necessarily um, until I started working with this Davis Absolute moniker. And as time kind of shifted, I do all my own graphic design. I do all my own mixing um, you know, I do pretty much everything myself. So the visuals were just something where I was like, okay, I have this very unique skill set that people would probably pay a lot of money to leverage. I should leverage it for myself. And one of the primary ways to do that was to be like, okay, I can create stories that can accompany the music in a way that no one else could. So I, for absolutes, that was like my first experiment. I was like, what if I just did a cover art for every single one of these for every single one of these tracks that just kind of told the story of the track. And as I started putting mm-hmm. together, it just made more and more sense. And moving forward, I was able to say like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to be a storyteller with this design. Now, every single piece of design that I do, I'm going to, I'm going to tell a story with it. So with Eden and with these other tracks that I was putting out, it was more about like the storytelling and the ability to, to give people something really quality all around. And, for that reason of like, hey, I'm a perfectionist. I'm really like anal about the way things come out. I haven't released any music videos. So it's like, okay, if I'm not going to release music videos, I got to release some kind of visual, right? And yeah. I can be in complete in charge of it. Um, you know, I can control it however I want. So that was just my, I guess, my way to give people something else to chew on along with the music. No, that makes that makes perfect sense. Um, and you know, not many people are doing it. So yeah, yeah. It, uh, I, I, I feel like more people are doing out. it now, though. Have you noticed that? I feel like a lot of people do it now. Are I'm you the trendsetter? It. Did you? I'm start not saying it? I'm the trendsetter because other people have done it, but I'm just saying <laughs> like I noticed some people doing it. 
Am well, I wrong? You, know, you got you got you got all that licensing and publishing clout now, so everyone's yeah. checking you out, and they're like, "Oh man, yo, he's got he's got artwork for every track." I'm like, yeah, be yeah. like this guy, he was on Gary V. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so switching gears from that, I want to talk about new H two O. I know you you kind of kept that under wraps for a while. You recently announced it, which is why I'm mentioning it. Um, so I guess at, as an artist taking over a publication, yeah. how do you, how do you feel, um, an artist vision could, you know, change the way a publication runs? Cause most, most publications are run by writers mm-hmm. chasing, you know, the entertainment. Yeah. You're sort yeah. of the entertainment that's chasing it the other way. So what, yeah. you know, how, what co- sort of perspective are you trying to bring to the journalism of new H2O. Yeah. I think one of the big things for me is, um, the, the idea of creation, right? So new H2O was, sorry about that. New H2O was in a position where, (laughs) like you're saying, we would chase the entertainment, we would chase what's going on. And we had a few like thought leadership pieces like, Oh, Hey, you know, um, here's some cool thoughts on like, um, you know, like the top grossing Christian films or, um, you know, why you should avoid certain things in your life as a Christian, et cetera, which I think were, were really valuable. Um, but seeing the way that a number of different publication or media company um, type websites are going, it's all about creating content. It's all about creating mm-hmm. really great, really digestible, enjoyable content. You see that with Genius.com. They started with lyrics, right? They started with lyrics. They got a $14 million investment, I think, in 2010. And from there, they've grown into a platform that's all about the art of storytelling from artists. Um, And then you see other websites, you know, similar to Complex, where they have really unique takes on the way they do interviews or the way that they cover uh, entertainment. They they have, like, the first reaction to it. So they're chasing it, but they're kind of setting the tone for it as well. So you see a lot of these really cool companies coming out and saying, okay, Creation is important. Ownership is important. Let's do this ourselves. So that's really kind of, I think, the mindset I could kind of bring to New H2O or we're we're trying to bring to New H2O is to say, hey, we're not going to chase a story. Instead, we're going to provide a narrative around what we feel um, is the best reaction to this, like to to what's going on in culture. Right. So instead of kind of following the narrative, reporting on the narrative, we want to help craft that narrative and and kind of be the go to for different topics right and i don't i don't ever see new h2o replacing like um rapzilla or uh, dj wado or chris chicago or something like that i i don't see that ever happening there's not really there's not enough room in that boat for us to jump into so instead i think we need to make our own boat and kind of take the approach of creating and creating really great stuff that people will enjoy mm-hmm. no it's cool and i know well, um, we joke around a lot, and the other day I called you um, a fake journalist, but that actually sounded very editorial of you. So, <laughs> oh yeah, okay, so, okay. So you figured out you know a lot more than I thought you did. Yeah, so yeah, you, yeah. You're good. You're good, man. You're good. <laughs> uh, so I, I saw you guys posted something the other day about um, moving away from SoundCloud, um, and you you had an article addressing that. Um, could you maybe elaborate a little more on it? Yeah, yeah. SoundCloud is just one of those platforms where, you know, it's dead. I mean, you know, it, it's not it's not completely dead, but like there was so many problems with SoundCloud that just never got corrected and never really got taken care of. Like, for example, the search engine or whatever you want to call it on SoundCloud has always been trash and they never took care of it. 
the tagging the feature tags, on sound. The tags oh, are awful. They're they're terrible. They've always been trash. They never took care of it. Um, the the fact that if you upload a song, say if you upload a song and you make it private and then you make it public, it shows up in the the user's feed at the same time that you uploaded it versus when it was made public. Another huge issue. So that all coupled with in 2017 that huge kind of SoundCloud scare around June where everyone jumped ship. Right. I was kind of like, okay. I can either sit here with my team and we could spend hours every week uploading this stuff to SoundCloud and trying to get people a few hundred plays, or we can kind of shift our entire brand, put our energy into something else, and then get people the real traction that they need. So it was kind of like, okay, are we going to stick on this SoundCloud ship, or are we going to end up jumping and moving to a platform that makes more sense for us in the long run? And I think that's ultimately what we ended up doing. What is that new shift? Like, where are you going? If it's not going to be SoundCloud, then where does the music go? Um, as far as what, like, I, 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 we're not going to upload any music unless it's great, really great music that we know can get a lot of, um, a lot of traffic to like our YouTube. That would probably be the one place is YouTube, but really mm-hmm. we're just going to create a platform on our website itself that can get visitors and fans of their music to their own platform. So one way that we kind of do that is um, we set up unique fan links for everybody that submits music to us. So if you submit music to us, we put a fan link in. Um, you know, we're gonna put Spotify and uh, uh, different embed players into the actual post so that people can stream directly from the post. Okay. But if they click on the fan link, they'll be able to uh, to see all the platform that it's available on. But since the fan link is coming from us, we can actually track the amount of clicks and the amount of conversions directly for that artist. So for example, if an artist gets 140 clicks with an 80% click through ratio, we can give that to them and say, hey, people prefer your YouTube account over your Spotify account, at least with this release, right? And I think that's pretty powerful information Mm -hmm. to have at your fingertips versus, hey, we put it up on SoundCloud, this many people listened to it, this many people downloaded it. All right, Right. there you go. (laughs) Which, you know, there is value. Analytics. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and there is value in that, right? Like I think with with certain platforms, SoundCloud still makes sense since you since you still have like thousands of plays that are coming through. But our SoundCloud, you know, our eleven thousand followers or whatever we, or whatever we had, um, we're becoming increasingly, you know, less active, and it just didn't make sense for the amount of time and effort it took. I feel you, man. I feel you. So, last question: What would you say? And this this is bringing it home. What would you say is the key for the survival of the artist? Like an artist in 2018, what is their biggest key or takeaway from being relevant until they get to 2019 at least? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, make, make great music and learn everything that you possibly can about the music business. So if you have good music or even great music, that's going to put you in a really good spot. People, I, I know people who know a ton about music and marketing and, and music, <laughs> about, who know a ton about music and marketing and all this kind of stuff, but their music sucks. So like their progression through the steps of a, of a, of an artist's life cycle is much slower than someone who puts out great music, but has like, you know, terrible business skills. So if you have great music, that's, that's step one, priority number one. Then the next step is going to be understanding everything you can about the business. What is publishing? What is licensing? Why do I need to be set up with a, with a pro? You know, why do I need to, um, find out about my mechanical royalties? Like, um, you know, how much money am I getting per stream? What's the best way to get streams? All that stuff is going to be incredibly helpful um, and incredibly relevant, especially as we move away more and more from digital downloads. Uh, I think iTunes said that, or not, I, not iTunes. Um, I think Apple Music said that they're going to shut down um, their 
their streaming, or I'm sorry, not their streaming, their digital downloads entirely by 2020. So wow. no more iTunes, right? Uh, by 2020, which is a pretty wild, pretty radical step in that direction. Best Buy is abandoning all physical CDs by the summer of 2018, I believe is what they said. So we're looking at a, 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 a landscape that's only streaming. So adapt to what that landscape is. And that, that that's in part learning about the music business, but also uh, just keeping yourself um, educated on all aspects of music. All right. And there you have it. That is Davis Absolute dropping knowledge on the survival of the artist podcast. And his baby's dropping knowledge too. Um, <laughs> she's she's very excited to be on this <laughs> podcast as well. It should, yeah. be, it should be survival of the artist Davis Absolute featuring yeah. and then your daughter. But it's yeah. all good, man. I love it. I got my baby. She, but thankfully she's sleeping because she's older than your baby and much louder. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, thank you for your time, everybody. I hope you learned something. We're gonna drop some links down below, and uh, stay tuned. I don't know who the next guest is going to be, but um, it's gonna be good. And be sure to check out the Rich Grave podcast. Appreciate it, Justin. Peace.